This morning, uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, welcome uh, to those that are joining us online this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, if you'd open with me to uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, that'll be the text uh, we'll begin with. Uh, the title of the message, and I'm not one for titling messages because normally we're working through a chapter and uh, verse by verse. But this morning, I'd like to take a few minutes and address the topic of how to train our young people in spiritual warfare. And I know you can see the shock on some of your faces. I don't think I've ever heard a topic uh, like this uh, on a Sunday morning, how to equip or train our children and doing spiritual warfare, yet our culture demands uh, such an address. Uh, our children, some of them began school, public school, uh, our parochial school this, this week. Some of them will begin next week. And there's been uh, such a seismic shift in uh, expectations of what we expect our children to experience when they go to school in that there's a, a competing values that are been put in play not by the desire of many parents but by uh, say educators or social activists that have been driven by ideology and perhaps I would suggest not what's best uh, for the welfare of the student. Uh, some of the values that are being uh, are driven, uh, and depending upon your public school system, some are better than others, or we could say worse than others. And having education being driven by an ideology rather than uh, the basic academics that our children need to succeed in life. Let me say this before we go too much farther, that we have a number of uh, public school teachers that attend our church and we love them, we want to support them. We have public school administrators that are in our church and we love them and we want to support them. For 20 years, I coached uh, in two public high schools and also publicly kind of uh, regionally based club programs. And so I want to say to those that are serving in the public arena, we're with you and we're, we're, we're beside you and we want to encourage you because you are on the front lines of what is being taught and what ideology is being used to shape our children. Like I said, it's not always in the best interest of our children, some of these ideologies that are being put forth. Some of our children are being recruited uh, to take a path in their life that won't end well, statistically. On my news feed this morning came across that between 2.5 and four times greater students that are being groomed drawn into alternative sexual lifestyles 
2.5 to four times they are greater to experience depression, anxiety, substance abuse, and in some categories, even greater than four times, suicide. And I just am shocked, and I'm sure some of you may share that same shock, and you have to ask yourself, why? Why is this being offered to children when it will not end well for them? Like, why? Why? And of course, we could answer that, say, from a uh, theological perspective, though, that we're, we're in a battle and, um, and we're in this present evil age, Galatians 1.4, but it doesn't satisfy me because I don't feel like that's enough. And so I ask myself the question, and this is where obviously I'm drawing you into that, that place where I'm at is how do, I how do I respond to this? And that's where Jeremiah informs me. Jeremiah wrote, to the children of God who were in Babylon. They had been taken by God's plan, taken from their homeland and transported and brought to a completely pagan society. And I, 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 I feel that, that in some ways, living in Massachusetts, it's like no different than living in Babylon. I think if I, I joked with the first service and I said if I, if I brought a bus up and said, anybody want to go to Florida? To the land of the free. We're just going to move the church to Florida. I think I'd have a full bus. And then we had some visitors from Florida this morning. They said, oh, please don't do that. But I think how we respond to our culture, it, it's important. The tone that we have towards our culture, it's important. How we train up our children to live in that culture is critical. Because we want our children to be equipped to make decisions when they're outside of our home. And those decisions for those of us that have had children and for those, we, Nancy and I have eight grandchildren, they, start, they go from 10, 9, 8, soon to be 6, 3, and a half, 1, and a half, and then you got the twins. <laughs> and you see them in the back when Becky and Gavin bring them to church. And there's such a great love that I have for my adult children and my babies. We want to equip them so that their life is fulfilled and fruitful. And so we want to address tone and disposition. And then I want to offer you five very practical things as an encouragement to speak into your babies 
to speak into um, your children's lives, your grandchildren's lives, or if you have a sphere of influence such as you're a public school teacher or you're a principal or if you're a, a coach in the public arena, these are things that you might want to consider speaking into your students or your players' lives so that we can be gospel people in the time and place that God's placed us. And so let's pray. Jeremiah 29 will address tone and heart, and then I'll offer you those five things. Father, we thank you for this morning, and, and in the midst of our day and our time, Lord, that you would speak even, we would be so bold to ask, Lord, that you would speak prophetically into our hearts that, Lord, that, that we might have, have a disposition towards these things. And I pray, Lord, that you give us your heart, that we would love God with all of our heart, all of our mind, and all of our soul. And, and we, would love, we would love our neighbor who doesn't know you, that we would love our neighbor who does not know Christ. We would love our neighbor that has perhaps chosen a course that we can't embrace. Lord, you'd help us to know how to love them. And that's a tall order, Lord. And for some of us, myself included, Lord, there's times where we need you to enlarge our heart so that we would have the capacity to love people. So help us, Lord, help us to get this one right. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in Jeremiah. Jeremiah begins with, with this prophetic imperative, if we could say, he says this, thus says the Lord of hosts. And so the prophetic word that Jeremiah gives is based right out of the heart and that prophetic unction that God speaks through his prophets. And we have God's word that takes that same role in our hearts and our lives, that God's word is that that prophetic unction, that prophetic word in our hearts that we can listen and hear what the Lord would say. And the prophet Jeremiah says this. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. It's important to note that, is that the prophet is speaking to God's people. And we are God's people. We are the community of believers. We are the Ecclesia, which is, a, which is a secular word, which means uh, called out or assembly of people called out for a purpose and a task. And so we are God's people. We are the people that God has called out to live in a particular time and to live in a particular place. And back to the text. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Third point, first verse. 
It's not only is it a prophetic voice, not only is it given to God's people, but it's given to God's people at a particular time. They are in exile, removed from their homeland, removed from the temple worship, removed from all the things that they love, and they were sent into exile to live at a particular time in a particular place, and it was the result of the sovereign purposes of God. I often ask myself, Lord, why wasn't I born in San Diego? I have a perfect disposition for San Diego. I fit right into the culture there. I like the beach. I could grow my hair a little longer if my wife would let me and have a little ponytail. I'd be good. Why can't I live in San Diego? And the Lord said, ha, because I didn't want you to. I sent you to Medfa. And then I transported you up to Chumsfit. And that's where I live. I live where I'm placed. The time that I'm placed. Oftentimes I ask myself, you do too. Well, summer's over. How can I get to Florida? <laughs> I mean, you're there too. Come on. And there, there's freedom when we arrive at the place where we can accept the sovereignty of God and putting us and placing us at a particular time in a particular place in a particular location. Because if we could get a hold of that, as I'm often challenged, as you are in February, there can be joy and purpose because you take your eyes off of yourself and you take your eyes off of your needs and you say, Lord, how can I live in this time and in this place? And that's what the prophet says to them. He says, you want to live in a different, a different place and a different time, but I've, the Lord says, I've sent you there and here's how I want you to live. And I think that this is what's so instructive towards us. Back to the text. How do we live? How do we live in, what should be our tone in living there? What should be our, our attitude as the people of God living in a particular time and a particular place? And the prophet answers that. He says in verse 5, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and do not what? Do not decrease. Do not draw back. Do not stop having children because you're living in Babylon. Do not lose your identity as a family. Do not lose your identity as the people of God. Nurture that identity and nurture that identity through building strong families. How do we live in our time and our place? We don't lose our identity as the people of God. We are the dispensers of God's grace to our community. 
we offer Christ who delivers us, Galatians 1.4, we offer Christ, redemption in Christ, forgiveness in Christ, second chances in Christ, new birth in Christ, which is to deliver us from this present what? Present evil age. And we offer that as the people of God in the midst of this present evil age because that is our mission. And we offer it, I don't know what's your favorite sin that you like to rail against, but you know, you go down to, um, oh, what's the name of the street in Lowell? Yeah, ooh, yeah, you, you live there. You know. Oh, oh, you're here first service. Oh, I, I, that's cheating. That's cheating. Yeah. But at first service, they, I didn't mention that in any immediate Middlesex. So you go down to Middlesex Street. I don't know what your favorite sin is. And in Middlesex Street, you have the shelter there, right? You come up to a drug addict or an alcoholic and, uh, that's at, at the shelter there. And you... You offer him Jesus or her Jesus. You offer them Christ. And some of them will respond. Some of them will get saved. And some of them, that their life will be transformed. Who transformed their life? Jesus did. Did they have to fix their life before Jesus saved them? No. Did you have to fix your life before Jesus? I mean, some of you think Jesus got a good deal, you know. He got, he got me. But you know, we are all dead in our trespasses and sins. There's no one righteous. No, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray, each to his own path. And when Jesus intervened in our life and we accepted Christ by faith, he made us a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17. He just didn't do a rehab. Made us new from the inside out. And for many of us, and I know some of you too well. It's taken a long time for the outside to get caught up with what God did in the inside. And I'll say, that's me too. So what's your favorite sin? How do, what's our tone? And how do we relate to people? Back to the text. Verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city. Uh, I have to stop there because we had a smarty pants at first service. So, and, and, and kind of the joke was, well, but there it is. I'm called to be on welfare. <laughs> like, what? How many think that's right? Now, there's usually one. No, to seek the heart. To seek to bless. To seek, let's put it like really simple, to make a difference. To make life better. To improve the quality of life. To who? To those that don't know God. To those that are not part of the community of faith to those that are not part of the children of 
the community of Israel. To seek to bless and to improve their lives. And he goes on. He goes to seek the welfare of the city where at least you forget the prophet reminds them it's where the Lord has sent you. And then he doesn't stop there. He says, I want you to pray to the Lord on its behalf for in blessing and making a difference, you will find what? Your blessing. Like the Bible's full of paradoxes. You mean, if I love and bless my enemy, it's going to be good for me? Yes. Yes. You mean that my neighbor is a drug abuser who killed my dog, and if I forgive him, you think that is just something made up. That is the real deal where I lived. My neighbor was a drug dealer who killed our dog. And you mean if I, if I forgive him and bless him, God will bless me. Yes. Why? Because it's a gospel message. It's the gospel truth. It's what Jesus did for you. And not only to have that as our disposition, to have that as our tone, we're to do what? We're to pray for them. Why? Because we are the people of God. And folks, if our community can't experience grace and love and acceptance and forgiveness from the people of God, who can they receive it from? Who? That's the challenge for you and I, is to be the people of God planted where he has sovereignly put us and to make a difference in people's lives. It can be done, it's not easy, and it requires discernment. One example. When I was coaching public high school, great, loved doing it. Great relationships with my players. Young guy comes up to me, 16-year-old, says, Coach Ed, I want you to meet my, I want you to meet my mom and dad. Oh, great. Here they are, Sue and Mary. At that moment, all would be decided in my relationship with this young man. My response was to give Sue and Mary, which is not their names, but gave them both a hug and said, this guy is an awesome player. 
the best. I had the ability to speak into that young man's heart and to shape him to be a man and to make a difference in his life. Did he drop down on both knees and say the sinner's prayer? I would have liked that. To seek the welfare in your sphere of influence. God's given some of you guys little ones. Let me offer you five things. Some of them are going to surprise you. You're going to say, oh, I could have thought of that. Well, if, if you can, you can, you can come on up here. It would be good. Five things you can make a difference in preparing your young person to do spiritual battle. First one, teach the child that they are special because God made them. Jeremiah 1.6. God says to the prophet, what? I have formed you where? In your mother's womb. I have made you who you are. And when you come out of your mother's womb, you are going to be a boy or a girl. You may, have, you may have difficulties sexually. You may have difficulties because of where your environment has brought you. But I have formed you in your mother's womb. And the last time I checked, everybody that came out came out a boy or a girl. That's, real, that's called science, right? Well, what about the kid who had mixed down below? Well, those things happen. And that requires wisdom. But when they come out, they come out as a boy or girl. You need to tell your children that they were formed in their mother's womb and they are who they are because of God's choice. And when we, I'll go back a little bit, when we come to that place where we love the sovereignty of God, even though I was born in Medford and not San Diego, when we come to that place where we can accept the way God has made us, where he has planted us, what the purpose of his, his, his grace is in our life, it is a freeing and a joyful thing that we begin to align ourselves with what God says and who God says we are rather than looking at someone or something else to define us and, and call us who we are. I am Edward F. Conway Jr., not because I like the middle name Francis, but because God in his sovereignty put me in that place. And when we come to that place that we know who we are by the grace of God, we 
begin to be freed up to be all that God has called us to be. And so here's another part of that equation. Tell your children they're special because of the grace of God and not their intellect and not how great they can juggle a soccer ball or how great and amazing Suzuki violinists they are or how they dazzled the congregation, pick on Missouri, all right, how they dazzle the congregation with, with their growing skills as a worship leader. Tell them they're special because why? Because God made them. Come on. God made you who you are. You are special regardless if you can't pass trigonometry and you can't even pronounce it. Second, teach your children, teach your children, they are loved by God and share with them God's plan of salvation early and often. And as the child moves towards the preteen ages, help them understand that baptism is the outward sign of the inward work and don't be neutral about it. Well, it's the kids' church. It's the kids' choice. Well, whatever they decide. You, you, know, you know, I'm not into religion, you know. What? Love it. Are you kidding me? You're going to be neutral about the eternal salvation of your child? You're going to be hands off and you're just going to let whatever wolf in sheep's clothing seeks to woo them and draw them to an ideological view of sexuality or life or whatever that will end in a life that's not flourishing but a life of sadness and depression and anxiety? Who are you? We want our children to flourish. We want our children to be full of joy. We want our children to be secure in who they are and who God has made them to be because that is the sovereign will of God for them. Whatever they do in their life, whether they're a cop or a nurse or a doctor or a crazy Irish preacher, whatever God has for them, we're good with that. And they're special regardless of what their SAT scores are or where they go to college or, you know, nowadays you don't even want to say that, you know, Go to a trade school. You know, you can't even find an electrician or plumber, you know, around town. Do something with what God has given you. You with me? Some are not. Thirdly, tell your children in word and deed you love them unconditionally and they can come to you with any concern. You've got to start early. I love you. Certainly you have to separate. I love you, but your behavior is wrong. I love you, but you'll suffer the consequences. I love you, 
but you need to repent of your sins. It's the way God relates to us. I love you unconditionally, Ed, but you know, this part of your life, it ain't good, and it's not going to end well. What do you want to do? I want you, Lord. Good. His grace, his power, here's the Holy Spirit to change. Does God relate to you like that? When you go to God with your sin, do you, like, when you go to God with your sin, does he say, well, it's about time. Been waiting. I'll give you five minutes. Get over with it. Now get on with your life. No. God is tenderhearted. When the, when the prodigal turned, his father was already looking for him. When the prodigal came home, the father was like, slay the fatted calf. Right? You'll be tested in this, and the test will come around 15 years old, 16 years old, or 17 years old. It'll come. You'll get the phone call at 11.30. Dad? Yes? I'm in trouble. Okay. Where are you? Okay. Dad, I have to hand the phone over to this person. Okay. All right. I'm on my way. It's going to happen. Some of you are saying, which one of your kids was it? All these things are nurtured from the time, I was going to say the time they come out of the womb, but I used to talk to Becky and Tim when they're in the womb. Hello! This is your father! Come on out! We don't want to. Come on out! Fourth, teach your child to obey and trust God's word. For example, obedience towards parents is God's order and comes with a promise. Teach them about spiritual warfare. Five and last one. Um, let them know that the battle for their soul is real and it can cost them or their friends both their natural and eternal life. Don't be neutral. Our children, I didn't grow up in, you know, the type of culture that our children are facing today. I don't think anybody in front of me has faced the things that our kids are facing uh, in school and uh, the electronics are simply amazing. They have access to the world. On a, little, on a little device. But God's word is true and sure. What the prophet spoke to the children of Israel applies to us today. Is that we are the people of God. We are the people that dispense grace to our community. And so let our tone and the disposition of our heart towards our community be one of grace. Be one to do good 
welfare, to seek to make a difference in their lives, regardless of what they choose, regardless of how they walk their life. We offer unconditional love in the name of Jesus to people in the hope of what? In the hope that they will turn to Christ and experience his salvation. We want to model that for our children. We want to show and equip our children to live in their Babylon. And in every generation, God has raised up a prophetic voice to do it. And I don't know which one of our kids is the next Moody. I don't know which one of our kids is the next Carmichael, Amy Carmichael, that is. Susie Carmichael goes, is one of of my adult kids pregnant again? (laughs) But you know what I'm saying, right? But they're here in our midst. And so let's be the family of God Let's take care of our kids. And so when they come back in next Sunday, why don't you find out one kid's name and make sure you connect with that kid for the next several weeks. You can make a difference in our kids' lives. I've worked with three churches in the last year that had no children. I have to qualify it. One of the churches I've worked with had two children, and they, were, they belonged to the pastor and his wife. If you don't want children in church, here's what you have to do. Just do nothing. Don't volunteer. Don't help out. Don't learn their names. Be aggravated when a baby cries in church and spoils your little spiritual experience. You know, just do nothing, and they'll go away, and you'll have nothing, no children. That's what these churches have experienced. One of them, I think, is quite happy of having no children, by the way. And I'm like, what? Let's be the people of God on the mission of God, giving grace to people, and let's impart that to our own little ones. Can you say yes? Good job. We're going to close with the Lord's table this morning. Susie's going to come and give us a little space to prepare our hearts uh, to receive the Lord's table this morning.